Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, three tools. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 225-291-6901. Whoa. <laughs> I am impressed. <laughs> oh, come on now. You did well. Oh, I, I learned from the best. There you go. Hey, go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901, and we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. Try to give you some automotive advice. And I see we've already got Clark on the line holding. Good morning, Clark. Good morning, guys. How good, y'all doing? Doing great, doing sir. Doing very well. Hey, I've got a couple of questions for you. One of them is a follow-up to last week about changing the coolant in my Camry. Okay. I, I asked you about flushing, and what I meant about flushing was not with any of that kind of chemicals mm-hmm. or anything. Mm-hmm. I was talking about using distilled water try to heat it up and get the thermostat open to help completely drain it out. Yeah, the problem that you got with that, Clark, when you put anything into your cooling system other than a 50-50 mix of coolant Uh and distilled water is you have disturbed the mixture. And it's almost impossible to get it all out. So when you start re-adding, you're going to have a disturbed mixture. You're not going to end up with a complete 50-50 mix. I think what's a much, much better idea is just probably doesn't need flushing and be fine mm-hmm. just like it is. Go ahead and put the 50-50 Toyota coolant and distilled water. Mm-hmm. If you're worried about it, go ahead and do it, and maybe six months later come back and do it again. Okay. That would be a far, far better way because let's say you put pure distilled water in. Okay, well, that's mm-hmm. fine, except that you're not going to get 100% of that out. So gotcha. now when you start adding again, you don't know exactly what you've got. You got kind of a little bit of a cocktail there. You may have 60, 40, you may have whatever, but you don't have necessarily truly 50, 50. Now, see, in a cooling system, the water cools. The water is doing the cooling, but the coolant is protecting from corrosion, protecting from freezing, protecting from boiling and all that. So it's pretty mandatory you keep that mixture very, very close to 50, 50. Okay. I think the benefit would be far outweighed by the risk of maybe disturbing your mixture. Okay. Okay. Alrighty. All right. And then the next question I got is I need to replace the front brakes on my 2008 CRV. Okay. And I went in to the local shop about seeing the, if the rotors getting them resurfaced, and they said they don't do them. That is correct. Right. Yeah. Now, I just got back from the dealer, and the dealer told me in their brake job, they resurfaced the rotors. So is yeah. it all right to resurface no, the rotors? Sir. Our- no, the rotors on that one are going to be about... 10 to 15 thousands above discard when they're brand new and they're going to wear some so they're probably about five to seven thousands above discard right now if you turn them one time you'll be below discard now if you don't have to turn them the the benefit is if you don't have a brake shutter when you hit the brakes your steering wheel doesn't shake back and forth in your hand or they're not dished out real bad you can actually reuse that rotor on down to the next set of brake pads that's right until they reach discard the standard finish that's on there if it's not excessively rough or warped then there's no sense turn them anyway you just reuse them right and that's what i was planning on doing Mm -hmm. but i just wanted to do it right i had no shimmy whatsoever yeah then leave them alone right now alone what you do need to do clark is you need to do a real good job of cleaning those and i don't mean Mm -hmm. just spraying them off with brake cleaner you need to get some soap and water type cleaner and a scrub brush and scrub Mm -hmm. that rotor surface because there's a certain amount of residual material from the old brake pads that's kind Mm -hmm. of embedded in the surface of it and that will embed into the new pads which will end up contaminating them so what you want to do is take a good soap and water type cleaner and a good rough brush, just scrub them real well, get all that old residual material off. If okay. you buy your pads from the Honda dealer, which I'd highly recommend, those pads uh, are actually going to have a slight amount of abrasive initial coating. 
the first mm-hmm. 10, 15, 20 stops, they're going to scour those rotors, and now they're set and they're ready to go. I got you. And that's all you ever have to do. And just make sure you put the shims that are on the back of the pads between the calipers and the back of the brake pad. Mm-hmm. Make sure you put the correct grease that comes with the brake pads and all the shims back on in the correct positions. Right. And, and Honda loop, comes with the shims. Should. Yeah. Should. And, yeah. So the shim should come with the pads? Yes. They the will shims and Honda, the lubricant. Yes, the lubricant Most comes with it, too. do not, but Honda does. Yeah, I planned on getting them back from the uh, the dealer. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be far better off. Oh, absolutely! You won't have the noise. You won't have all the black dust on your wheels. It won't warp a set of rotors. Yeah, some of the reading that I did said it's also best with that because to make sure that they don't get too hot when you use. That's them right. Right. They're designed for that exact application. And see, when I go to the dealer to get the pads, you got to be a little careful. I'm. I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of parts department people are a little bit lazy, and you just walk in and say, look, I got a da-da-da-da-da CRV. They're just going to go and grab a pad they think fits on, and it might fit on there, but it might not be the exact one. What I do is I walk in, and I give them the VIN number off the car, and I don't even tell them what kind of car it is. And if they ask me, I say, you tell me what kind of car it is. (laughs) Because being a little bit lazy, they might not want to punch that VIN number in because it's 17 digits. So they just shoot from the hip sometime. I've had try to do that to me. But I walk in, give them the VIN number, and I just sit there and, just look at them, you know, like I'm stupid, and I make them tell me what kind of car it is. All that information is in the way, VIN number. Yeah, if they put that VIN number in before they look up those pads, you're going to get the exact pad that came on your car. I got you. Yeah, it's a good idea. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, cause a, a EX model could be different from an LX. You know, maybe right. a little bit different formulation or so on. Well, they've got a pad on the shelf they know fits the car. They right. hand it to you. Well, it's not the exact same pad. Hmm. So I always give them the VIN number and, and make them look it up. All right. All right. Appreciate it, then. Alrighty. Thank you all very much. Okay, right, Clark. Sir. Thanks for calling, man. Have a good day. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we would love to have you. We actually did a brake service the other day. I had to throw the, the old pads away mm-hmm. because they were aftermarket pads, and they didn't keep the shims for that application when they got changed the last That's time. That's right. So we actually had to repurchase the shims and the pads. That's very, very common to have to do that. We get cars in all the time, and the folks say, man, I'm shuddering real bad when I brake, or, man, my wife is he's driving her crazy with all the noise in these brakes. And you look at it, and it's got a brand-new set of pads on it. And they're aftermarket pads, which basically, I'm not saying all aftermarket pads are bad, but the vast majority of them are just not as good as the original equipment right. stuff is. And the most, backing is actually designed to fit the car, but that's it. The that's material it. the material is comes off of a sheet. Yeah, universal. Right. Material. And it's one fits all. Well, your Chevy pickup and your Honda Accord and your Lexus They're IS all, 250, they all get the same material with correct. the aftermarket stuff. Whereas, like I said before, a Honda EX may get a different path from a Honda LX. Correct. They have specifically blended a material that is going to work perfectly in this application. It's going to be the exact right coefficient of friction to stop right. It's going to remove the heat from the rotor to keep them from warping. It is the best overall compromise of a pad. Sure. Do it once and it's done. You don't have to go back and redo it again. Well, what happens in the aftermarket a lot of times is they want a pad that lasts a long time because that's their criteria for success, I guess. Uh Uh-huh. And they'll make the pad harder. Well, yeah, sure, it does last longer. Right. But, but now it eats up a set of rotors. Exactly. So you're wearing out the rotor instead of the pad. It's sort of like, you know, my shoes keep wearing out, and, uh, you know, I'm going to make the sidewall softer. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not going to work out too well. So when you get the original equipment pad, 
you're going to get the exact pad for the car. Correct. Now, with rotors, that's not quite as important because as long as you're getting a good name brand rotor, you're probably going to be okay. Sometimes that'll make a difference if you live up north where there's a lot of road salts and all. Some of the aftermarket rotors are not going to have the same amount of nickel content. They're not going to be the same blend of metals. And so you may have a corrosion problem. Right. In the South, we really don't see that very much. As long as it's a decent brand name of rotor, you're and probably going to be just fine. With and it's it. got a good finish on it. A good surface finish. You don't and want the to... same surface finish on both rotors. Correct. Because I've seen where you buy two rotors, one's got a spiral cut finish, and the other has a straight cut finish, and that's going to cause the car to pull to the right or left when you brake. Correct. They have to have matching finishes. And what happens when they're producing rotors, they may be coming from multiple plants. One plant does it one way, one plant does another way, and they all go down the food chain there and come right, out not, the end somewhere. Not that either one of them is bad. They just have to match. That's right. They have to be the same. So when you compare those replacement rotors, make sure the surface finish is the same. Right. You want to open both boxes and look before you walk out of the wherever you're buying them at. It's sure. also not a bad idea to compare it to the old rotor. Because you'll be amazed. Sometimes it's a little bit different model, and maybe they didn't give you the exact right rotor. I've seen where, if say you lay the flat part where the lug nuts are down on a flat surface, lay the other one down, and the portion where the rotor is may sit up a little bit higher or a little bit lower. Right. Because the offset of the rotor is slightly different. Right. That's not going to work out because it's not going to center up between the caliper slides the way that it should. That's just one of the things you see. Also, the hole in the center of the rotor may be machined larger or smaller. If it's smaller, it's not going to go on the car, so that's not as big a problem. But, but if it's larger, larger, yeah, it may just not center up. Right. And, and so, if it doesn't center up, then you have a run-out issue you have to deal with, and that could cause you more trouble down the road. Well, that's right. What it can actually do, going to throw you off balance a little bit, but that's probably not too big of an issue because it's turning fairly slow. It's turning at wheel speed. But what it can do is because it's running out radially, when you go to apply the brakes, it's exerting force against that caliper to move it up and down. And it's not designed to move up and down. It's designed to work radially only. So you start to get creaking noises and stuff like that. I know we had a car come in a while back, and when you hit the brake, you get a real weird noise. No brake shutter. And the rotor was running out radially. It wasn't running out laterally. Uh So it didn't cause a brake shutter, but it was creaking the slides on the caliper. Right. It was was loading and unloading the the slides. And when we finally checked it, we noticed the center hole in the rotor was probably about 20 or 30 thousandths of an inch oversized. Uh Uh-huh. So when you put it on, the weight pulled it all the way to one side. Well, it just kind of wobbled around on the the hub. hub when you turned. So when you applied the brake pads, they tried to grab it and stop it. Well, what was happening is it's moving all that up and down. Right, which is not designed to do. No, and eventually it's going to tear your caliper slides up. It's going to wreak havoc on all that kind of stuff. Sure. It'll but, eventually get past the grease and start wearing the slide pins themselves out, mm-hmm. and then you'll have a rattling noise you can never get rid of. Well, you can't ever find. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that noise? But, yeah, that happens quite a bit. We see it all the time. People come in, they got brand-new pads on the car, and like you said, you go in and you have to now put it all back the way it goes. So the first thing you do is you yank off these junk aftermarket pads. Most of the time, you end up having to buy a set of rotors because they've already warped the rotors pretty bad right. beyond repair. That's usually when we see them is they have a brake job done somewhere, and then two months, three months, it's got a severe brake shutter. You, like you said, you take the wheels off, a brand-new set of junk pads on it. Mm-hmm. And you, That's when we see them. Now, you go to do the replacement, and you don't have a set of shims because the shims hit the garbage can with the old pads. Exactly. 
And so now you've got to buy a set of shims, which can be very expensive. Some of them are fairly reasonable, but some of them are actually very expensive. Right. I've seen a set of shims cost as much as a set of brake pads on some wow. car models. Uh-huh. Sometimes the Hondas and Acuras, usually the shims come with the pads, which is the exception. Most cars do not, do not. come with the pads. Right. They're, they're listed out separately. You have to purchase them separately. Mm-hmm. If they have them at all at the dealership. Well, a lot of you... times they don't stock them. So now you got the car tore down. You have to wait an extra day to order the shims. Right. And I know a lot of times on General Motors and Ford products, the GM and Ford deals don't stock a whole lot of that stuff. Right. So you may end up having to tie the car up an extra day, or let's say you got a kind of a, I don't want to use the word off-brand, but a not locally popular brand, like in Baton Rouge, say a Mitsubishi. Okay. There's only one dealership here, and they really don't stock a lot of parts. And so if you have that come in and you need a set of shims for the pads, right? your car is probably going to be tied up at least overnight. Right. Their big thing is they have a, a warehouse centrally located, so they don't stock a whole lot of parts here. So if they need something, they can get it overnight. Mm-hmm. But there you go again. you got an extra day. you got to have it tied up. Yeah. You're sitting on jack stands in the front yard, you know, and <laughs> you're trying to get to church on Sunday morning. You may not make it in that, that vehicle. That's right. And if you, like a lot of folks have Saturday set aside to do this kind of work. Well, they go in on Saturday to do it. Well, they can't get the parts. Well, you're not going to get them on Sunday either. No. No, so that's for a fact. So now you're into Monday, which you're back to work. So your car is actually ended up tied up maybe for an entire week before you can get back to it. Right. In the meantime, it's sitting out in the driveway, raining on it and everything else. So <laughs> yeah, you yep. really got a mess. Plus, you've been really, really inconvenienced. Or something you was really hard to foresee, but that happens a lot. I, well, we have that problem also with Mazda uh, locally. Even though there's uh-huh. two dealers here in Baton Rouge, they just don't stock a lot of parts. Right. They, they in turn, they also have a, a centrally located warehouse that they deal out of. A lot of your dealerships are like that. Mm-hmm. They keep the fast moving parts. But well, the, it's kind of like the airlines with their hub system. You know, if you die and go to hell, you got to go through Atlanta if you're in Baton Rouge. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> hey, we're going to take a quick little break and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true, like free beer tomorrow. Or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true? The low price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks, and more. Well, Agco says be smart. When you get the list, Bring your vehicle to AGCO and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Welcome back. If you just join us the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Lewis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. Got all our lines wide open. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's right. Now, 225 will get you to us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And you add the country code to that, and That's you right. can reach us from anywhere in the world. There you go. And I think it's 01 for the United States. Yeah. And I'm not sure what it is everywhere else, but... Uh, that's That'll point, do it, huh? That's right. Just point, point a few <laughs> extra numbers. You can go anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking during the break about 
this is actually the beginning of hurricane season. Correct. I think June 1st. June 1st, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're six days in already. Yeah, it's a hurricane. And I saw the other day there is a is an IVES or INVES out in the Gulf, which uh-huh. is the forerunner of a tropical storm. I don't think, or at least they don't plan on this one doing a whole lot. Well. Uh, may not even turn into a tropical storm yet. The Gulf's still pretty cool, and I think it has to be hot to really uh, make those things bad. Right. Where we're going with all that, a lot of folks have portable generators at home. That have been sitting all winter and not been run. So that's right. So you really need to get that thing out and change the oil in it. Whatever gas is in it, get it out. Drain that old gas out and put some fresh gas in because it's been sitting now for probably in excess of six months. Several so that months. that gas is not going to be good any longer. Right. And you're going to do yourself a big favor by doing that because if that old contaminated gas gets down to that carburetor, it's liable to start stopping stuff up. And a lot of folks don't know they'll put – ethanol fuel in their small motors they say oh the ethanol killed it well yeah it kind of sort of did but actually neglect is what killed it because as long as you change that ethanol fuel out about every three months you're going to cut your problems way 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 down exactly totally eliminate them and even better if you put some fuel stabilizer in it before you put it in the generator or a small engine of any kind more or whatever any stored gas that you have to add that stabilizer when you purchase the gas and put it in the can right because after the gas has gone bad it will not bring no, the gas can't back generate it but it helps to prevent mm-hmm. phase separation where the ethanol and the fuel start to separate out so if you want to go ahead and get your generator going now before, before you need it yeah when the hurricane is bearing down on you and you power's you're out, off it's, you're out there with a pull card <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly yeah, that's not you don't want to do that <laughs> So go ahead and drain the fuel out of it. Get some fresh fuel in it. Go ahead and put the stabilizer in your fuel right now. Drain the oil out. Let's go ahead and change the oil. You can't go by miles on a generator, no, clearly. you got to go by hours. Hours or time. And certainly if it hasn't been done in six months or years, probably time for sure. fresh oil. Or take all your old extension cords out and check them real good. Make sure they're not dry rotted or frayed, frayed or anything Ground like that. Ground lugs broke off of them. Right. So you'll have them when you get ready to use them. That's right. They'll and be ready to go. When you get ready to use it generators a couple of precautions you have to really watch and one is you don't want to sit it underneath a carport or something where the fumes are rising up and they get into those little vents right and as you notice the eaves around your house are vents there which vent the heat out of the attic correct and if you set a generator under one of those eaves the carbon monoxide is hot because it's part of the exhaust it's going to rise up it's going to go right in that eave get into your attic and then it's going to cool off and it's going to settle down in your house correct so Every year, it seems like we hear stories of stuff like that happening. You don't want your generator under the eaves or under your carport. Right. It's real inviting to put it under there when it's raining and you can leave it running, but don't do it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's too easy to build a little cover to set it out in the driveway away That's from right. the house. And if you go to our website, I've actually got an article on generator safety. It shows you how to build a little cover, cover. using PVC pipe and canvas. It's pretty easy to do. So. Yeah. Make yourself a little cover, and that way you got a spot picked out. Have your extension cards ready. Have everything ready. Keep it out the rain. When the first hurricane comes, when the you power need it. goes down, you have it That's ready right. to go. Of course, if you're fortunate enough to have one of the built-in ones, hey. then you don't have to worry so much about it. Well, you that. still got to do the maintenance still on it. You still got to maintain it. That's it. <laughs> Let's go to our phone answer. Mark, good morning, Mark. Good morning. Enjoy your show. Thanks, sir. Tire question. Plugging a tire as a leak repair. Yes, sir. What's your opinion of that? I don't do it. You don't do no, it. No, sir. 
Should it be done? No, no sir. sir. <laughs> not on not on an automotive tire. No. I mean, if you want to do it on a lawn tractor or no, 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 something no, like well, that. Yeah, I would never do it. I wouldn't That's, do it. It's considered bush league by any professional tire person. I mean, yeah. I know people who do it all the time, and I've actually seen it work in some cases. I I've mean, also it, seen a lot of tires separate it because of it. I've right. seen them leak. I've seen them blow out and all sorts of other things, so I just don't do it at all. It had a flat, took mm -hmm. it to a supposedly a quality repair shop mm -hmm. locally, and I marked where the sending unit for the indicator was, and that may have scared them off because I really don't think they wanted to break the tire yeah, off Yeah, well, the it's a complicated deal. It's not a real easy repair. Yeah. I mean, it takes a professional to do it correctly. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, to repair a tire properly, I mean, you're into breaking the tire down, going on the inside. You've got to prepare the surface. you got to get the patch plug type device to put in it all has to be real clean a special adhesives then you have to put a secure coat you have to remount and you have to rebalance that can take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour to do one tire and all that with the tire sensor the tire pressure sensor in there you're trying not to damage also that's right to fix a tire nowadays you may spend 50 60 bucks to get a flat fix properly and most that's people don't want to do that it. That's why I figured they did it, because should I go back and have them uh, redo that tire properly? Or just I would leave? take a plug out, yes. I would put a patch on the inside. See, because what's happening now is it's sealed from the inside, but not the outside. Tire rolls around through the water. The water is being forced into the belts. Yeah. Well, they're steel belts. So water and steel, you know what's going to happen? They're going to rust. Yeah, that and when they rust, that they break. Air wait, can wait, leak wait, past wait, the plug, wait, and it wait, can get wait. in between the belts. Wait, what seals it if you put a patch to what I'm accustomed to? What I use, I don't like a patch because, as Brian was saying, if you put a patch on the inside, you still got a wound on the outside of the tire. It's okay. open. What you okay. want, there's a company called Tech, which makes a... C-H. Right. They make a device. It's a patch with a rubber stem that comes through. Okay. The first okay. thing you do okay. is you go in with a special cutter, and you cut it at a bevel. You take the hole, you cut it at a bevel. You pull it through from the inside, and when it comes through, it mushrooms out on the top, and it's got adhesive all the way around it. And you cut that off, and it seals the wound completely inside and out. And that way you've got a proper repair you don't have to worry about. Never grew up with anything uh, other than you take the tire off and you put a patch on the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that works. It'll seal the air chamber, but it doesn't seal the belts and stuff on the outside. you still got a wound on the outside. All okay, right. well, thank you very all much. All right, all right, thank, thank you. you. All right, we've got to take a quick little break. Curtis, if you hold on, you'll be straight up after this break. Good morning, and welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special, and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. <laughs> yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. <laughs> Agco Automotive has this to say about low-price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. 
Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we've got Curtis has been patiently holding. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning. I've got a O2 Tahoe that I need to get the transmission rebuilt. Okay. And the guy I'm talking to about rebuilding it asked me if he He's going to rebuild it from scratch. Can he rebuild it a little bit stronger, yes, a little sir. bit easier mm-hmm. than normal? Mm-hmm. And he mentioned something about a Corvette, something or the other he could put on or around the transmission that would cause it to, to shift better or something like that. And I wasn't sure if that was a good idea or not. Yeah, there's a generally most shops, you know, when we rebuild them, Curtis, what we do, that's a 4L60E transmission in that vehicle. We use parts out of a 4L65, which is actually a beefed-up unit that GM makes. That comes behind a 6-liter. Okay. You can take the planetary out of a 4L65, has five planets in it instead of four. So okay. that's going to be a big improvement. Another thing, we're going to put a billet steel reaction shell because the reaction yeah. shell that comes in the 4L60E is a spun-welded part, and they break a lot. That's okay. one of the things that knocks them out. Right. There's also plastic pistons on the accumulators, and they have aluminum pistons available. There are larger sprags with more rollers in them, which is a big improvement. As far as shifting, we generally put a shift modification kit, which is going to boost the pressure to the clutches slightly. Now, you got to remember, anytime you start to modify that, you're going to gain one thing, but you're going to lose something else. Right. And when you start to put a little more pressure to clutches, your transmission will last longer, it'll engage more firmly, but you're also going to get a slightly harsher shift. So right. it's sort of a delicate balancing act, and what we try to do is go slightly more without going enough to be noticeably harsher. Occasionally we have to go back and tweak it back down because someone says, well, that shift's a little harder than I like. Okay, well, fine, we can bring it down, but we generally will put that in there. Some transmissions also, there is a regulator you can put into the valve body that will, if the pressure starts to get too high, it'll dump it back in the pan. Not so much on a Chevrolet, but on a lot of the Ford products, the electronic pressure control regulator can stick, and when it does, it can kick the pressure so high that it'll break the case on the transmission. So okay. there's an auxiliary regulator that we can put into the valve body. But like I said, it's not so much on the Chevrolets as it is on the Fords. Yeah, so if he uses a, a 4L65, then I'm a... I should expect a lot longer use out of this next transmission than I got out of the first, huh? I would think so, yeah. I know we give a three-year, 50,000-mile warranty on all our rebuilds, and you don't get that on a new one. You get whatever it is. But, right. uh, yeah, I don't see any reason because every problem that the 4L60 has, someone makes a part that pretty much fixes. Okay. So if so it's that's... rebuilt properly, it's better than the original by yeah, far. I got the truck with about 145000 on it. I don't know if the transmission in it was the original. Or That's about normal. And, Generally, and, uh, 120 to 150 is where they usually last. Well, I bought it at 145, and now I've got 280 on 288, and that's when it went out. So yeah. I don't know oh, yeah, well, you did original. great. Yeah, yes. if that's original, you did really, really well. Some do. I mean, I've seen some go 300,000 miles, and I've seen a lot of them go at 130. So it just yeah. depends. I mean, probably the earliest I've seen I have a fleet of trucks that we maintain and on some of the newer ones we've having to put transmission those around 45 50,000 miles at times i have a yukon xl that went out at 160 and now it's still going at, at 340 so. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah once okay. it's rebuilt properly you're not going to have much trouble out of it. it's not a bad transmission it's just got some it's got a lot of flaws that well, could just, have been taken care of yeah design the, issues you know yeah earlier in progress 
they could have been they could have fixed that stuff where you wouldn't have had any trouble later with the later models but right. they just neglected to do well, it i like mean most things they're trying to make a profit they're ready for so it they're break. putting the cheapest stuff they can and you got to right. remember gms just like everybody else they're in the business selling new cars right right and after, so after. yeah if it fails transmission fails that's going to probably push a lot of people back to a new car yeah, which I'd is rather, what they want anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I'd rather have not have a no. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, they pretty much design a car to last about a hundred thousand miles these days. So when you get past a hundred, you can start having some design issues that it's just going past what they designed it to do. Right, and right. And the newer stuff's a lot worse than the older stuff. Some of the older vehicles, like back in the mid nineties to the mid two thousands, I mean, those were actually by today's standards way over designed. I mean, they would yeah. go three four hundred thousand miles pretty easy with a little care. They lasted way too long for them. Yeah, right. The newer right. stuff's far more complex and far more fragile. So I'm not seeing yep. that kind of life out of the newer vehicles. Now, once I get the new transmission, and is there a time period that that it'll break in that I need to get the fluid filter changed fairly quickly and then not so much not really no, no? okay some people you know, you have to talk to your rebuilder about it some are going to recommend 30,000 some 50,000 just whatever he would recommend on it is what I would follow and you want to go a little bit easy on any new or rebuilt component because you do have clutches and stuff that do have to seat to new parts and you don't get in there and put it to the floor right off the bat you know driving no. around easily kind of gingerly for the first month or so and then after that you do whatever you want with it okay all right all right man thanks bye-bye 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive eye we'd love to have you why don't you go and give us a call that's a good topic and a lot of times i have folks come to me and they say well i'm gonna buy a new transmission and, and they don't realize there are almost no new transmissions generally the only way to get a new transmission is buy a new car correct Almost everything that's out there, when you go to the dealer and you buy a transmission, you're generally getting a remanufactured transmission. From, from the them. dealer, right. And that is normally remanufactured back to the original equipment specifications. Now, if it was originally a good transmission, for instance, let's take the Ford Torque Shift, which comes okay. behind the 6-liter. That is a very good transmission. Right. The motor's not too much pumpkin. But, but the transmission. Oh, yeah. So if you got a Ford Torque Shift, and let's say after 300,000 miles it went out, you went back to Ford, bought another one, then it'll probably go another 300,000 miles. Sure. Very good. But with the case of the 4L60, 4L60 it, it has a, some design flaws in it. Right. It was just a light design to start with, and I think that one came into life as a, what was a 700, 700 R4. R4. Right. And then they went to the... 4L60, then the 4L60E, and then on and on from there. It's basically the same, same design, just it worked a little different. Pretty different. much the same design since 1982. There you go. Uh, they've added electronics to it and all that. But things like that reaction shell is pretty much the same part, and they've had a lot of trouble with that. I mean, I've seen them break at 40,000 miles. I've seen them go, I guess the average one maybe makes 130 to 150. Right, so if you go back to the dealer and get a 4L60E, you're still getting that same old right. design well, transmission. And when you rebuild it locally, the I guess the only issue there is you have to know the guy who's going to rebuild it because right. it depends on his standards at that point. For instance, when we rebuild one in-house at Agco, our goal is to not ever have to go into that transmission again. Correct. I know Josh tells me, when I build a transmission, I don't want to have to ever go back into that transmission again. I want it fixed. Right. And so if there are upgraded parts we can put in, that's what you're going to do. But that's why the price of a rebuilt transmission is going to vary so much. You may call one guy, he may tell you $1,500. Uh-huh. Another guy may tell you $2,800. Another guy may tell you $3,500. Right. Well, 
the labor to do the job is pretty much about pretty the, much same the same anywhere you go. But the price of the components varies drastically. Sure. For instance, a five-gear planetary can cost $400, $450. Okay. So that's added back to the price of that job. But sure. you've got a 20% stronger part that's not going to break. Right. A billet steel reaction shell may cost $100 more than the original part. Or if you just reuse the other part, it's going to cost $200 more than the original reused part. Another thing is not everybody, there's no standard of what a rebuilt anything really is. Uh-huh. For instance, if they just tear it down, put clutches in it, put seals in it, paint the outside, put a torque converter and hand it back to you. They call that rebuilt. Some shops call that a rebuilt. Right. And that may be twelve to $1,500. Now, if they're going to go in and replace all of the parts that are broken, plus all the parts that are likely to break. For instance, they put the upgraded planetaries in it. They put the aluminum pistons instead of the plastic pistons. They rebuild the valve body and put a shift improvement kit in it. They put a heavier than original torque converter in it. Oh, on and on and on. Put all new solenoids in it because that's a big thing. A lot of shops will reuse the solenoids. Right. Solenoids might be eighty to two hundred dollars a piece, and they may be anywhere from two to eight of them in there. So that's going to kick the price way up on the rebuild. But again, you're getting a much much better product. Because if you've got solenoids in your transmission, let's say it fails at 150,000 miles, we reuse these solenoids. Well, those well, solenoids still have 150,000 miles on them. Exactly. And, and if contaminants any, in them. And if any one of them fails, the unit's going down again. Sure. Now, you may not have to totally rebuild it again, but you're going to have to at least drop Open the it pan, up. drop the valve body, take solenoid out, all of that kind of stuff. So that's why the price varies so much. And folks don't realize they so used to buying a commodity you know, if I buy a Sanyo big screen TV, 19-inch model, CD, blah, 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 uh-huh. and I compare it one store to another, I know I got the same thing. Right. And so, therefore, I just find the lowest price and I'm good. Same thing with buying a new car. If I buy a new Chevrolet from dealer X or buy it from dealer Y, it's pretty much the same car. I mean, I could say there's a little bit in there for service or for whatever. Yeah, but you're still buying the same product. Basically, you're getting the same product. But when I walk in and get a rebuilt transmission, I may not be getting the same product at all. Exactly. That is two totally separate things depending on who is doing the rebuilding and what he calls a rebuild. Exactly. And there are parts that you can put into a vehicle. I know we built a Dodge transmission for a fella who was hauling an extreme load. I want to say he had a, I don't remember if it was a D4 dozer or something he was pulling with it, which was pretty big uh-huh. uh, thing and he had just smoked the transmission in this thing at about 60,000 miles well we went back with a billet steel torque converter double converter what they do is they go in because that diesel engine has so much torque it actually twists the shell on the torque converter right well there are companies that will go in they'll cut that torque converter in half weld a piece of billet steel maybe a half inch thick to the outside to keep that from ever occurring again in some cases they'll actually put two converters together and make it double strong okay well just that torque converter could cost fifteen hundred dollars right just for the part but now you've got something that'll do the job you want to do so if you're getting a fifteen hundred dollar rebuild and the torque converter costs fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> yeah, you probably ain't getting that <laughs> yeah no kidding huh now nobody wants to spend more than they have to clearly but you don't want to spend too little and have to redo the whole job. Exactly. In other words, if you could have spent $2,800 and fixed this properly. And been done. 
Instead, you spent fifteen hundred dollars, and it lasted six months, and now you got to go back or a year, You've and been you got to do times. the whole thing again. You had to bring it back three times in the meantime. Right? Did that really make sense? Because you got to go back and pay the other guy to fix it right anyway. And many, many times, a shop is not going to want to go through a transmission someone else has already been through. Right, because it doesn't – one little thing that they did to the valve body, let's just say. Yeah. If they made a slight improvement on the valve body that nobody else knows about, mm-hmm. well, you don't know about it, so you don't want to go behind him and trying to figure out what he did to this. And Well, and the word improvement is kind of the key because he may do something that he thinks is an improvement. He may go in and drill out a certain passageway. Well, there's no way to know he did that. And exactly. And now the transmission is not going to shift properly because he's modified. So. And it will never shift properly. That's right. So in that case, the only thing to do is go with a factory reman unit where you get a whole other transmission or go to a junkyard, find a used transmission that hadn't been tampered with and rebuild that one. Right. But again, your expenses go way, way, way up in either case. So you get kind of one shot at doing that properly. It's sort of like with air conditioning work. We see this a lot because just about every shop in South Louisiana does some form of air conditioning work right. because it's such a big market. And very, very, very often what we'll do is someone comes in and the compressor has gone bad on their air conditioner. Now, the metal has contaminated the entire system. So what the shop sees is, they, well, the compressor's bad. We'll change the compressor. Okay. Okay, great. You spent 1000 bucks. You got a job that's going to last about six months until that metal gets back in there and tears it up again. Right. It's going to use the new compressor as a filter. That's right. Next time, it's going to last about three months because each time it gets worse and worse and worse. Well, sure, you're adding twice the amount of metal back into the system every time the compressor goes out. Now, to fix that properly, what needed to be done is you had to change the receiver dryer. You had to replace the condenser because there's no way to clean a condenser. If it has an expansion valve, you probably need to change the expansion valve. Correct. If the hoses have mufflers in them, you need to replace the hoses because those mufflers are going to keep trash in there. You could end up with a $2,000 repair. Sure. But it's fixed. Right. It's done. 2000 fixed, 1000 thrown away, and you still got to spend the 2000 Plus, you got to spend some extra to clean up the mess the $1,000 job caused. Exactly. And, and if you're into changing every piece of it, you go in underneath the dash to change the evaporator, mm-hmm. it's a real eerie feeling to seeing to open the front doors and yeah. look at the back of the firewall that's right. because that's how far it has to come apart yeah, everything to change that piece. has to come out of there and i'm right when i tell you that we do that job probably four or five times a week uh-huh it's a big 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 problem so we're gonna take another quick little break and we'll be right back with more in the automotive hour mike how are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-priced $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in and we just happen to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. <laughs> Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strepanoid filter head needs to be replaced. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change, and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, 
Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901. Got all our lines wide open. That's right. And should you happen not to make the end of the show today or think of something after we go off the air or even next week at midnight, there you go. You can send Louis an email and he will get that answer back to you within 24 hours. Now, if you send it at midnight, You'd be looking about 5 o'clock in the morning before you get an answer back. (laughs) Or after 8 o'clock at night, it'd be the next morning. That's a fact. That's just one of them little things. (laughs) (laughs) On the West Coast, it ain't going to make too much difference to you. uh, There you go. Yeah, on the East Coast, man. (laughs) (laughs) You can go to our website. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) There's a contact bar on each and every page. You can send Lewis an email, and he'll get it right back to you. Just fill out the little form and send it in. There you go. And there's lots and lots of things to do while you're on that site. You may find your answer to your question already answered. There is a vehicle question section, which has well over a 1,000 questions that have already been answered. It's a short, to-the-point question. Then if you want a more detailed answer to a specific topic, you mm-hmm. can go to the detailed topics. That's right. If you want to know, say, what is oil viscosity? What does that mean? Or should I use synthetic oil or should I use regular oil? Right. Because that is not a silver bullet. Synthetic oil is not for everyone. It's a wonderful product. It's really, really good. It's much tougher than regular oil. And a lot of people require it now. Right, the newer cars do. A lot of new cars require synthetic oil. You've got to use it. You don't have an option. A lot of people would strongly benefit from using synthetic sure. oil. Sure. But then some people just don't need it. But and you can you can read this article and figure out if it's for you or not. That's right. It's not one of those things that one size fits all. I know folks who use synthetic oil and probably don't get a lot of benefit out of it. They're just paying a lot more money. Other folks could probably greatly benefit from it and don't use it. Sure. So it just depends. You need to read the article and find out all the little peculiars about it. Right. There's a lot of great articles on that site. All that information is free. It's not going to cost you anything to, to go through any of it. That's right. And let's say you've got a low brake pedal, which is one thing that a lot of people have trouble with. Maybe mm-hmm. you've done some brake work. Maybe you hadn't done any brake work, but the pedal on your car is low. That can be kind of tricky to diagnose if you don't deal with it every day. Well, there is a good article. It's a two-part article. It tells you how to go in and diagnose a low brake pedal. And what this is going to do is give you a logical sequence without using parts. You don't have to start swapping parts out. Because so often people come to us, they say, man, Lewis, I got a low brake pedal on my car. I've changed the mouse cylinder. I've changed the calipers. I've changed this. 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 What do you think? Man, I think you should have used a logical procedure (laughs) to isolate the problem. Instead instead of throwing parts out. Yeah, spending all this money on parts that you got because some of the parts you put on there weren't as good as the ones you took off. Exactly. So this is just one of the articles. There's another one on isolating vibrations. And, again, same thing. Man, I've changed this. I've changed this. I've changed this. I got this. I've I've done this. I've done that. Yeah. Well, man, that's just the wrong way to do it. Sure. You You can't just go and start changing stuff. We get that. Two simple tests to take care of that. Taking it out on the road. Right. Two simple tests will tell you where to start looking. Well, it's going to eliminate probably 50 to 60% of the possibilities right there. It's going to at least put you in the right theater of operation. Sure. For instance, if you've got a vibration and the first thing you want to do is see what RPM it occurs at, then with the car sitting still, bring the engine to that RPM and see if the vibration's there. Now, that's a very simple test. It costs absolutely nothing. And that's going to eliminate so many things because the vibration is there with the car sitting still. Forget about the wheels and tires. The drive line. 
Yeah, forget about driveline. You don't have to go buy right. a new set of tires to see if it fixes it. You don't have to put all new wheels on it to see if it's going to fix it. Right. You don't have to put new transmission to see if it's going to fix it. That's it. If it's sitting still, yeah. it's got to be in the engine. It's an engine or torque converter-related problem. So that one little simple test just eliminate all that stuff. Right. Don't now, have to leave the house. Let's say you can't simulate it sitting okay. still. Okay. Well, then we know it's not anything on the engine. So we can eliminate all those things. The next thing is we want to bring it out accelerate and decelerate maybe get above the range where it's shaking put it in neutral let it coast back down through the range if the vibration is now gone it's not going to be a wheel and tire exactly so you don't have to go get your wheels balanced you don't have to go get your front end alignment you don't have to go buy new tires you know it's not that it's a driveline related problem sure so again these are very very simple tests there's no one out there who can drive a car that can't do these tests right and why wouldn't you do this? Because it's not going to cost you anything, and it's going to bring you to the problem so much faster than going out, well, I brought it in, I got my tires balanced, and I'm still shaking. Well, that, we don't know if they balanced tires right. Exactly. We had a set of tires in uh, Friday Yeah, that were not balanced right. Well, the guy just had them balanced, and now he's got a vibration, so he's pretty sure that's what it is. Some but- of them were ounce ounce and a half out of balance right but let's say it was shaking before you go get them balanced and don't balance them right well it's shaking after okay must not be that and then they go off on a tirade of spending money on other stuff exactly and really you haven't gained any knowledge whereas with this one simple little test you've eliminated all those possibilities so all that information and so 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 much more is on that website in fact every week on the automotive hour you'll notice how many times i refer folks to the website correct because just about everything that we talk about on the show is, is on that site. Covered in. Right. Uh, so like the gentleman we talked to earlier about his coolant, there are, I guess, 10 or 15 articles on coolant that right. goes in detail. There's two on it I put not too long ago that gets into the chemistry of coolants and how they work, all the different colors of coolant, how to mix it, why you do it this way, why you don't just dump the coolant in. Easy way to find that, type in coolant. All yep. those articles will pop up underneath, bar, yes, sir. and you will have all the information there you'll probably ever want to read about coolant. Oh, yeah. You're going to probably run out of time or run <laughs> out of patience. <laughs> That's right. Before you run out of information, you could read and Sure. Learn. Get some knowledge from them. Lots of good information, all of it free and unbiased. There you go. That's the, that's the best part. There you go. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and go to iTunes and Stitchers and... What are the other Pod services Bean, out? A whole bunch right. of them. Give, Give us, us a, a written rating. That's right. That moves up in the rating so more folks can find us. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.